Good morning, everyone, and take your Bibles this morning if you have a Bible. If not, there's one provided in the pew. And if not, we have in our bulletin put the scripture that I'm going to use right on the back. So I'd like you to follow because probably the most important thing that you'll ever hear while you're on this earth, and it's only a short period of time you're on this earth, is God's word. So this morning, if you look at your text, in verse number 21, the last verse on the back of your bulletin, or in the book of Acts in your Bible, it says this, soundly testifying to both the Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not uncommon for people to conclude in their thinking that to become a Christian, in fact, to become a Christian, many there's many different opinions that people have about what a Christian is. I remember when I first was talking to somebody about the Bible and the Word of God, and they asked me right out, are you a Christian? And I says, of course I'm a Christian. But in my mind, being a Christian was going to church and having done certain Christian things while I was growing up. To me, that was a Christian. So, again, people also surmise that because from time to time they think about God and they think about religious matters, then they, they're a Christian. Or that because they're trying to, very hard to live a good life, that they are a Christian. That's how they conclude. I have heard even media personalities say, wherever you find love and kindness, kindness, you find God. If I find God, love and kindness in my family and in my friends, isn't that the spirit of Christianity? And if so, I believe that I'm a Christian. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, I have always believed that stuff. And therefore, I've always been a Christian. I've always believed the Bible. I've always believed in Jesus. And they conclude because of that, they are a Christian even though they've never read the Bible and doesn't even know what the Bible says. And they really haven't considered what God really wants them to do or how God actually looks at them. Or they'll say this, I've always had the best intentions for people and have never desired to harm anyone. This has always been the creed of my life, and therefore, because I'm like that, I'm a Christian. Some are thought to be religious because they wear religious symbols on their body, whether it's symbols uh, uh, as made in jewelry or as earrings or they may have a symbol on their car signifying that they are a believer, and because they're bent toward this, cor- this kind of public display, then not only do others assume that they are Christians, but they themselves consider themselves to be Christians because they have this bent towards being religious and being good. And those things are not bad in and of, of themselves. But what I am asking you to think about is do they equal what the Bible says about what it really means to be a Christian. If you consider this passage that I'm going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 20, if you're honest, you must conclude that becoming a Christian means to undergo a complete change. A change of thinking. A change of action a change of direction where you're heading in your life. Something, something happens to a real Christian. Something takes place inside of them. They move from one place to another. They move from thinking they are a Christian to really becoming a Christian. It happens when they, under, they come under the spotlight of Scripture. And as they come under the spotlight of Scripture, they are driven in in their minds and in their hearts and in their conscience to begin to consider 
what the God of heaven has given us in the word of God about what he says about himself and what he says about us. And it becomes evident in our text this morning that the Apostle Paul assures the people that through repentance and faith that they would receive salvation. He taught that in God's name, mercy and the mercy that comes through the atoning death of Jesus Christ, they would receive salvation by coming to themselves and realizing they need to quit their sin and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they would become real Christians. Now I want you to see that we cannot do without these two things in this passage of Scripture this morning. In fact, if you notice what it says there, solemnly testifying in verse 21 of both two Jews and Greeks, both Jews thought to themselves, what, what do I need to know more about God? I have the Old Testament Scripture. I thought I have it, the right information about God, which they did, but they were doing the wrong things with the right information. And then the Greeks, so steeped in philosophy, thought they figured it all out. And so what it's saying here is that, listen, if you have not repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, you have no part in the matter of eternal salvation, the eternal salvation of your soul. So it's my desire this morning that you would have a part in the eternal salvation that God offers to all men. But you will not have a part unless these two essential things are yours. And let's look at the first one. There's only two points that I have from this text. And I want you to see what they are, and then I want you to think about what it doesn't mean and then what it does mean. Here's the first point in verse number 21 of chapter 20 of Acts. You must have repentance towards God, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God. Now, what does that mean? Now, before we look at what it means, I want you to understand a little bit about what it doesn't mean. What repentance is not. In other words, there is a repentance that is not toward God. There are kinds of repentances that have been taken and mistakenly looked at and considered in one's life as true biblical repentance, but they are in their nature counterfeits. I considered about four counterfeits of repentance, which amount only to the sorrow of the world. As it says in first, Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, what it's saying there is that people are genuinely sorry for bad things they've done. But that does not mean that they actually have real repentance towards God and are a Christian. Well, here's the first counterfeit. A repentance of sin that produces a sense of shame. In other words, some get caught in their sin and they are ashamed of it. Have you ever been ashamed of something you've done? Some thought that you have? Some action that you were involved with? Some relationship that you were in? Something you did and now in your life you're ashamed of what you did? 
In fact, people don't really, um, they're not ashamed necessarily because they sinned. Usually they're ashamed and grieved because they have been discovered. And they are sorry because they have been found out. They're not necessarily sorry because of the evil that they have committed, but the but that the evil had been dragged into the light and exposes their secret evil sinning heart. If they have not if they were not found out, then they probably would go on in their sin without any big difficulty or problem. And so don't be fooled that to have shame over sin is true biblical repentance. It is not. Second counterfeit is this, a repentance that consists of grief because of the painful consequences of sin. And what I mean by that is someone who gives up a sinful habit or practice not because they don't like it or they dislike it, but because it's ruining them. It's ruining their health or it's ruining their family. It's, it's like someone who uh, is po- possibly a drinker and they drink heavily and, of course, they find out that their drinking is ruining their body, it's ruining their family, or somebody who's involved with drugs or somebody who gets into pornography or sexual immorality or even involved with homosexuality and cheating and lying and stealing and gossiping and outbursts of anger. You get the point that they realize that their actions or their sin is actually ruining them and ruining their relationships with people around them. It's like those who go through some kind of rehab program and they are told, you must believe in a higher power because you can't overcome this problem that you have This, usually it's called disease that you have, unless you believe in a higher power. But they don't say who the higher power is, and the higher power can be anybody at all. So, it is a repentance of regret for the adverse consequences that their actions produce and it's not necessarily sorrow in their heart towards God because of their sin this repentance also is a sham and it is not true biblical repentance in fact this kind will never be acceptable in God's sight it's the kind of of leaving your sin for a while until the circumstances cool down and then you go back to it the scripture in Proverbs says this, like a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool will repeat his folly. They'll go back to their sin because they've always loved it in their heart. Until they get over the hump, they'll go back to it. That's not real repentance. Also, there's another counterfeit repentance, and it's a repentance that consists of the horror of future punishment of sin. People are afraid that they're going to be punished for their sin, either now or before God. And you know what? That fear is not necessarily a bad fear to have. That those people also who have somehow escaped the hand of present justice in their sinful activity... But they know in the depth of their soul that they will not escape the future court of divine justice after death. It's like Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It tells us this. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. But yet know this that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. In a sense, listen, you're going to follow what you desire in your heart. You're going to follow certain impulses. But remember this, everything you do, everything you say, everything you think will be brought up before God's bar of justice. 
Now, that should cause you to think and do things differently. Right? In fact, Hebrews tells us, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. So in reality, people do know. They can get away with it here. But they're not going to get away with it before God. At least they stop sinning in a certain area because of fear of death and judgment and wrath to come. But their fear really goes no further than selfish desire to escape punishment. If they could assume, and you can guarantee them, that they would not be punished for their sin, they would continue to sin. See, fear of punishment falls short of genuine biblical repentance. And there's a lot of people who live this way. They live in this fear, and they have no answers for that fear. But there's one other counterfeit I want to mention to you before I mention what repentance is. And that is repentance, which is partial. And we do this all the time. We compartmentalize things in our mind. We say, here are the big sins, and here are the little sins. Right? And so, it's the big sins, or that one big sin that, say, that a person says to themselves, that gross iniquity that I have committed, that they feel a measure of regret over. But at the same time, they say, well, you know why I, I did do that, but I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. So this thing that they did, this sin that they committed, they seem to only want to repent of that one thing or that great glaring offense, but not all the other sins that they have committed. In fact, they have not repented of sin at all when they do that. Because the Bible does tell us, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of all the law. If you broke one of God's laws, you're guilty of all God's laws. If you've sinned once, you're under God's judgment for all the sin. So see, biblical repentance is a repentance that sweeps the house clean from cellar to attic. It hunts down sin of every shape and size and destroys it. See, sin, no sin, is spared at all whatsoever. And I can go on describing how people think in their mind about what they have done with their sin that they have committed against God. And each one of those things does not equal biblical repentance. All that it equals is this, the sorrow of of the world, the Bible says, produces death. It's, you're going to end up in the same place everybody else ends up, under God's judgment. So, that's what it's not. Then what is it? Acts chapter 20, verse 21, notice what it says, that the repentance that's taught in the Bible it is, a, is a repentance toward God. Repentance meaning this, a turning from sin and a turning to God. Now, why is this so? Because the essence of your, of your repentance must be toward God. For the essence of your wrong, for the essence of our sin is Toward God. It is not enough to feel sorry for your sin or the fear of punishment that you'll face. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow of sin, a renouncing of sin, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience to Christ. It should be pictured like this. You have taken a wrong turn. You're driving further and further away from where you want to go. And so what you need to do is stop, turn around, 
completely and start traveling in the right direction. See, the direction is toward God as found in the Word of God. So that means that there has to be a change going on on how you look at God, how you think about God. What does God require of you? Well, here's the first thing that I want you to consider. That repentance, real, genuine, biblical repentance, includes a redirection of your thinking. All your thinking has always been about yourself. About your desires. About your passions. About your pleasures. So you see, you really don't have time to think about God. Who He is and what He requires. Actually, the word repent is in the Greek word, because the New Testament was written in Greek, is the word metanoia, and it actually originally meant an afterthought. So it it is dealing with, with your mind, or a change of one's mind. In other words, a second thought about something reveals that your first thought was wrong. In other words... Your second thought about God, once the Word of God is interjected into your thinking, you begin to think, you know, the way I've been thinking about God is all wrong. The way I've been thinking about repentance is all wrong. In fact, repentance means that you really have to ask yourself certain questions about God. And why don't you do that this morning? Does God make any difference to you in your life? Whether he's in it or not. Ask yourself, does my life in any way conform to God's word? Have I been living as if I had an endless lease on life? Somehow that I will, I'll never die. Do you think like that? Do you live like you'll never die? Have you ever asked, who am I? How am I living? What is the purpose of life? What's the end going to be like? After asking these kind of questions, you will realize that you have not thought about God very much at all. In fact, you and I are very capable every day because of the busyness of our life, because of our bent towards selfishness and self-centeredness, and in a, a country that feeds that, You have an abundance of self-image-making stuff going through your head every single day. To bolster up. The big thing is, the reason why they couldn't do it is because they have no self-esteem. Right? Isn't that the the catchphrase of the day? What, What they're saying is that you need more of yourself than you have. No. That's self-destructive what we need to think of is how much that we've really neglected God. Just think about it for a minute. The God who made you and I, whether you're Jew or Gentile or Arab or whatever you are, wherever you came from, God made you. You are created in His image. He has given you breath. And life. He has supplied all your needs up until this day. And how long have you lived? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years? How much of that have you served Him? How much of that have you offered Him worship and glory? Have you robbed him of what is rightfully his? 
all these years you've been living and you have not been acknowledging God at all. You have been neglecting him and you have been ignoring him. Now, come on, let's face it. If you bought a car and it provided no service to you, right? It would be the proverbial, let's go get the shotgun and blow that jalopy apart, right? Because it provides you no service. If God made you, he made your ears and your eyes and your mouth, and he's given you a conscience. He's ordained the time in which you were going to live, the place in which you were going to live, who you would marry, which, how many kids you would have, what kind of job and talents and skills he would give you. He's given you all that, and we provided from that just drips and drops of service. You know what that says? It says that my thinking about God has to change. See, repentance has to start there. Also, think about this. How much we have misrepresented God in our life as his creatures. You represent, misrepresent God by, how do we do, how do we misrepresent God? By complaining. We are are in a season of thanksgiving, are we not? We, we sang about songs, Lord, thank you for the pain. Do we thank God for the pain? Thank you for the trials. Do we thank God for the trials? Or do we complain because the lot that we felt that has been dealt to us by God is unjust and even cruel? You think that God is the cause of your misery? when you alone have brought it upon yourself. You and I talk about him who is unjust, and all the time it is you and I who have been unjust and evil. Ingratitude is the worst of all sins. Because it says in our lot in life, God, you have been cruel and evil to me. And I don't deserve it. As if we knew better than him. And at the same time, God has been good to us. He's allowed the sun to shine upon us. He's given us food and good food to eat. He's, live, he's, he's let us live in a, a free country. With all its problems and its imperfections, you're here and you're free. Yet we, we've misrepresented God in the way we live. We curse God under our breath. And we're unthankful about what he's done. And we are ungrateful deep in our heart. We must admit this. Because real, genuine repentance brings us to a place to think differently about God. On how he's revealed himself in the word of God. And how we have offended him. Because... You and I have done things that we should not have done. And we have left undone the things that he commanded us to do. And you know what he commands us to do? To repent of our sin. To repent on the terrible way you've been thinking about God. To repent of your unbelief. To repent of those things. And how much we have fallen short of his standard. A truly repentant heart judges judges itself by God's standard, not by their own standard, not by someone else's standard. His standard is perfect holiness. Sin is any want of conformity to the law and to the character of God. If you judge yourself by your fellow man, you'll always look better, right? Because I just pick somebody who's worse than me. And I can, because if I pick somebody who's worse than me and I judge myself by then, then I look pretty good. 
and that's what we do, because we, we don't want to think of ourselves as, as sinful and evil, but we are. See, sin is any way of conformity to the law and to, actually it is, it's, it's a want of the, to conformity to the law and character of God. Judge yourself by a fellow man and you'll look pretty good, but if you judge yourself by the perfect holiness of God, you're not going to look so good, right? You know what God demands? He demands perfect holiness to come into his presence. Perfection to come into his presence. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, no one could be perfect right You're right. No one could be perfectly holy. You're right. Nobody can live up to God's standard. You're right. But there is no true repentance until our judgment of self is formed by a comparison with the divine character of God. You and I fall short of that standard, so we must need something else. We must, must need something more that we ourselves cannot provide. And what is that? That repentance has to be toward the God of the Bible, the God who created the heaven and the earth, right? And in doing that, God's going to change our thinking about who he is about what he's done, and about what he requires for you and I to do. And he requires for us to turn from our sinning and turn towards him. But there's a second thing that genuine repentance includes, and it's this, a realization of our guilt. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, And when they heard this, when they heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were pierced in their heart. You know what that is? That's guilt. Let me just remind you that sin is not merely something that is wrong. It's what we tend to do. We recognize certain acts as good and others as bad, and we tend to think that sin is just doing particular things that are bad. It is that. But, That is not the essence of sin. The essence of sin is rebellion against God. So now I need to change my thinking about what I have done towards God. I've actually rebelled against Him. One act of sin is rebelling against God. When you, as a child, used to say no to mom or dad, is that rebellion? That's rebellion, isn't it, right? What are they rebelling against? They're rebelling against your authority as a parent and your word to them on not to do this or to do this. And if they say no, seems like such a nice little word, doesn't it? In fact, when little kids say it, it's even acute sometimes uh, when they say, no, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to do it, right? You know what that is? That's rebellion. And yet, don't we do that all the time with God? No, I'm not going to do that. We think under our breath, we're not going to do that. So you see, people tend to think that because they have never committed adultery or they have never gotten drunk or never taken drugs or never committed murder and so on and so forth, that they are not sinners. See, people conclude that decent, moral, and good-living people are not sinners because their estimation, in their estimation, they've really done no wrong. But the only reason most people think this is because they never understood the essence of sin, which is rebellion against God. See, have you changed your thinking about yourself? That you and I are actually rebels against God. That is included in repentance. So that means if i am been thinking wrongly about God and what he requires, and I've been thinking wrongly about myself, thinking myself 
pretty good and decent person. And not realizing that God doesn't see me that way. God sees me because of my sin as a rebel against his authority. Then, see, if I haven't been thinking about myself like that, then I'm thinking about myself wrongly. And I'm in a terrible situation when that happens. Consider this, if a person is not concerned about obeying God and pleasing Him and living for His glory, well then, that's sin. Men and women are in trouble because of their disobedience to God, and as a result, they are under God's wrath. In this passage of Scripture, there's two groups of people mentioned, the Jews and the Greeks. Well, you know the Jews it tells us in the book of Acts, we're guilty of actually murdering Jesus. The Romans are guilty of actually murdering Jesus. In fact, they nailed him to a cross. But we would say to ourselves, but I've never done that. But if you have, up until this point in your life, been unconcerned about Jesus, And he is someone that you could either take or leave. And he maintains no significant place in your life. Then you are guilty of treating Jesus as insignificant. And because you are ignoring him in this way, and you have rejected him and stand guilty of discarding the Son of God, then there's no greater sin than one can commit. But repentance means not only having a change of mind about God the Father and what He's done, change of mind about yourself that you are actually a rebel against God because of your sin. But here's a third thing in our text that we're going to get to in just a second, that repentance includes a realization of the relevance of Jesus. Now, plainly, repentance is a complete change of heart about the the relevance of Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. You see, he's the, the the Holy Spirit brings to a person's mind, to his thinking, he brings them to a place where they, be, they understand, they see now for the first time, they've been thinking all wrong about who Jesus is. He shows them that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners and that the world is in a state of sin and that includes us. So you see, when the gospel comes by the word of God, The Holy Spirit of God gets people to think and look at things in a way they never looked at them before. So repentance then is agreeing with God that you are sinful, confessing your sins to Him, and making a conscious choice to turn from sin and pursue Christ in loving obedience. So see, the first essential is that you and I would have the proper repentance towards God. But secondly, it brings me to my second essential, that you cannot be without. And if you notice in verse number 21, it says, solemnly testifying both of the Jews and the Greeks, and here's the second thing, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ Jesus becomes the solution to our rebellion. Jesus becomes the solution to our wrong understanding of God. Jesus becomes the one who stands as a mediator between man and God, and He is the one we are to run to. He is the solution. He is the Savior. By the preaching of the Word of God, the Scriptures reveal the status of, the dignity, and the significance of Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ is the most significant person in all of human time and history? That everything, everything focuses on 
is going to focus in on and has focused in on Jesus Christ and will in the end. He is the all in all. So that means that God must redirect our heart to think about Jesus in a way we never thought about him before. Luke puts it like this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If I'm in rebellion towards God, I'm lost. How did he accomplish that particular mission? In the person of Jesus Christ, God literally became man and then lived a perfect life of righteousness and obedience to his own laws and on behalf of his children. What did he do? It says, the word of the God says, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Having perfectly obeyed the law, Christ then willingly died for sinners. Now get this. He willingly died for you and I, who were in rebellion against him, who didn't think rightly about him. You know what that is? That is a demonstration of God's incredible love towards humanity. That when Jesus died, he endured the wrath and the anger and the punishment of God on sin, on my personal sin. He died as a sacrifice for my sins satisfying God's requirements of divine justice and perfection and took upon himself that punishment that was due me and you. That is the tremendous love of Christ. For the Bible says that Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. The just Jesus Christ dying for the unjust, us, in order that he may bring us to God, that Christ, after he died, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that, listen, if you, the sinner, with nothing in your hand, do receive Jesus Christ alone and believe that he died and rose again, the Bible says eternal life is not the purchase of human merit or anything we could do for it. It is the free gift of the love of God to us that we simply receive. The Lord Jesus Christ becomes our gift. So that means our whole thinking about Christ has to change. That's repentance. And brings us to a place Have we personally done this? Can you say this morning that you have in your life today that you have repentance towards the God of the Bible, the God who's created the heaven and the earth, and repentance toward seeing yourself as a rebel against God under his judgment and seeing have a change of thinking about who Christ is, that he is the one who became the substitute for your sin, that you must now personally respond to that message. And if you do, and you believe in him the way the Bible says, then you become a real Christian. Believing the gospel means to obey the message concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is God's only way of salvation, that God sent Jesus to the cross, and that God put all our sins on him and punish them there on him. He took the full price, the full load, the full wrath of God for you and I who are sinners. So believing the gospel means that you stop all your self-justification. That you stop every reliance upon your own good deeds. You have none. That you stop all your own efforts to work your way to God. Stop it. For the scripture tells us, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance, right? And if you're a sinner, you qualify for salvation. If you're a sinner, you qualify to be made right with God. If you're a sinner, you can have all your sins forgiven. Washed away forever. 
See, either you're depending on your own righteousness or you're going to depend upon the righteousness of God. Now, don't leave here today thinking that sounds all very true and that you say to yourself, listen, I'm going to determine now to go home and live a better life and now endeavor to keep His commandments. Well, if you say that to God, He will tell you that you are now disobeying Him more now than you ever have done before in your life. So today be warned, my friend, do not believe that the lie that all roads lead to heaven. They do not. Saving faith means coming to an end of yourself, your self-reliance, your self-righteousness, and trusting absolutely in Christ for the forgiveness of your rebellious sin and for eternal life. So remember, salvation must not only be granted, it must be received. So you have to change your thinking also in repentance about, have you done it? Have you come to a place when the free offer of the gospel of eternal salvation has been offered to you, have you taken it? Have you believed the way God requires us to believe? Do you have the two essentials, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, the Bible tells us that we, you'll have no part in eternal salvation. So I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit may sweetly whisper in your ear, yield, for Jesus invites you to come. Come right now. Repent of your unbelief. Ask Jesus to rescue you from sin's condemnation and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior because Jesus is God's answer to sin. And stop the foolish labor of trying to establish your own righteousness. Instead, submit yourself to the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to offer a price and earn life. Instead, come and receive life as a free gift from your God as he intended. You are not called upon to earn life, but to receive it. And stop leaning upon your pride. Give it up. Fling yourself on the mercy of God and pardoning grace. The resurrected and living Christ wants to give eternal life freely, without cost, to anyone who asks for it. So I guess the same thing was asked of me many years ago. Would you come? Poor and blind and wretched and ruined sinner to the one who can awaken your soul, open your eyes to see the living Lord, and then rejoice that he will give you life and he will resurrect your dead soul so now you can live for him. See, something will happen in you and something will be happening to you and that you will desire to live for Christ Jesus the rest of your life. And then you'll conclude, as you learn more of the Word of God, yes, I am a Christian. I am a Christian because I am not trusting in myself. I am not trusting in my good works. I am not trusting in a religious system. I am not trusting in any ordinance or thing that I've done. I am trusting alone and casting myself upon the mercy of God in Christ Jesus because it is Christ's righteousness that saves me. It is Christ who's taken my sin and nailed it to a cross and he's taken his righteousness and put it on my account. Now God sees the righteousness of God on my account and all those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way 
you and I will ever see the face of God is if we have repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. I know parts of this message were hard. But nonetheless true. And I guess if I had to decide to give a message like this on my own, I would not. But when found in the Word of God, I must. Because it is God's Word that wants to awaken people to the wrath that's coming upon them if they do not turn and believe in Christ. Amen? That's really what it's about. So make sure today, don't leave today without the two most important essentials in the matter of God's salvation. And if you just look at the, the text one more time, it says this, And let me remind you that this text was written there for uh, the Apostle Paul brought brought together the elders of Ephesus. And he said, listen, I want to tell you something. I did not hold back to you the whole truth. And this is the truth that he gave them, solemnly testifying to both Jews who thought they were right with God and Greeks who who thought they had the way to God, that both of, you, both of you needed to change your thinking about God and repent of that and move toward God. Look at yourself as a sinner under God's wrath and realize that God's solution to your problem is faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, that is the message that I'm going to preach to every living person that I'll meet. And that message is still being preached today, not only here, but all over the world. That's the only way to be right with God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I do thank you for the people that are here. I don't know, Lord, where they're at spiritually, but you do. And I do ask you, Lord, that today, if you have awakened something in them, that now they realize that they are lacking these two essentials, please, Lord, bring it to their attention and move them, Lord, to the place where they will call upon you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would completely change their thinking about who you are, about who they are, and about who Christ is. And I pray, Lord Jesus, they would come and call upon you, Lord, and you would hear their cry for mercy, and that you would pour upon them the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, they would receive it freely as one of your children. I thank you for this, and I give you praise for what you'll do. In Christ's name, I ask this. Amen. Let's stand together.